Let me start by telling you that I'm not usually uh, nervous about speaking in front of a group of people. Um, I'm used to speaking in front of junior hires, though, and not 750, 800 uh, students and uh, faculty members, and especially not uh, a group that is going to be as critical as this group here. Um, critical in the way that uh, sometimes is good and sometimes may not be good. Uh, I know that when I'm speaking or when I'm listening uh, to a speaker, I'm easily, I'm easily um, critiquing people. I'm, oh, you know, he didn't quite as go as deep on that point as I wish he would. He didn't, uh, you know, he didn't read enough. He didn't do whatever. And I would hope that today, as you guys sit there and listen to me, that you wouldn't be uh, critiquing me for the things that I'm, um, I don't know, the, the nervousness that I have or whatever. But just kick back and listen to what I have to say. I think that the Lord has laid these things on my heart for the last four years. Um, it may not be the most eloquent of messages, uh, but I do feel that there are important things uh, that the Lord has laid on my heart that I should communicate to you. I would like to start by reading uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You could turn there with me. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. The NIV translation is the translation that I first started with after becoming a new Christian. And this is where I first heard this passage. It's from the NIV and uh, how I memorized part of the passage too, so that's why I wanted to stick with it this morning. Starting in verse 4 of chapter 1. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not o- gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and, the, and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God became known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then I'm going to return or continue in chapter 2 through verse 13. So hang with as I, as I read uh, quite a bit of scripture, but I think there's some important things to be communicated in this. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in sight, in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for the praise of men, not from, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we are gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We love you so much that we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order to be not to be a burden to you, to anyone, while, pre- while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls, us, calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, 
what you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. I'd like to just start um, by telling you that passage is one of the most important passages to me in my ministry. And I'd like to just kind of go back and let you know just where I'm from, um, a little bit about me, and just a brief word of testimony. One, just so you can know a little bit, but also just so I could calm my nerves and just talk about something that, that I know uh, to be true. Um, and that's, that's my past. And uh, as we then look back into the scripture, I was raised in the state of Washington um, in a non-church uh, family. Uh, I take that back. Actually, we went to church probably for the first uh, first few years of my life um, that I could remember. Probably between the ages of six and nine, I remember going to a Lutheran church, and I didn't like it at all. I remember my parents even sometimes dropping me off to go to the Sunday school, and I just thought it was the worst thing. It seemed like everybody else liked the Sunday school class but me and my brother, uh, and we'd come back and just go, Mom, Dad, we don't we don't want to go anymore. And, and yet they would continue to take us, and, and church itself was just the most boring thing. I'm sure that some of you had that same feeling when you were uh, growing up, too. Um, I do remember one thing. I did like the, the Christmas Eve service because that was when you got to hold the candle, you know, the candlelight service. And, and one, one Christmas time, uh, when, you're, when you're sitting there holding the candle, you get it for like 10 minutes, you know, because otherwise it would melt all the way down. But my brother sitting right next to me. And we're sitting there, you know, just listening to the pastor, bored to death, of course, but just enjoying watching the wax melt. And, and the pastor had us, you know, pray. So you close your eyes and pray. And I remember thinking, what's that smell? I look over, my brother's bangs are completely singed off. <laughs> he had apparently bowed his head while we went to pray, so he had no bangs. That was about it for, for the church going. We became Christmas and Easter churchgoers uh, occasionally, I guess. I remember a couple Easter sunrise services that we went to. And then we just kind of faded out. I got heavily involved into soccer, which meant you're playing on Saturdays and Sundays. So we never went to church anymore uh, besides Christmas and Easter. When I was in elementary, I thought that you know I was a pretty cool guy. I was into sports. And then I hit junior high and, and knew that I was a pretty cool guy. I got to my head. I was on ASB. I was doing this and that, and, and just thought, you know, wow, I'm cool. Uh, I got really involved in, in every sport that, uh, that you could think of, and uh, I had some pretty good friends. I wasn't involved in too many bad things. Uh, I had a pretty good relationship with my parents around the time of junior high, and then it, it began to go downhill as I got more and more involved in basketball. Basketball really became uh, my god. I was playing year-round, summer league, fall league, winter league, and then spring league. And uh, when I got to high school, a couple of my friends got involved in an organization called Young Life, which I'm sure some of you have heard of. They got the opportunity, their sophomore, between their sophomore and junior year, to go uh, to Malibu, Canada, which is a camp, a Young Life camp up in Canada. And they just loved it. They came back saying, oh, this is the best thing. you got to go. you got to go. I didn't want to go because I knew that I'd miss some basketball games during the summer. So anyway, I decided, okay, they... they had a great time. I'm going to go. I'm going to start going to Young Life this next year, my junior year. Started going to Young Life, and that's where I really started to hear about the gospel, hear about Christ, hear about sin. And I, I didn't really listen. I came more for the music. I thought the praising was kind of cool. I came for uh, the leaders that were pretty cool. I came for the games that were corny but fun. Um, and came just for the fellowship, basically. And had a great time. And when those sign-ups came for, for me to be able to go up to Malibu, I said, yeah, I'm going for sure. You know, put my $300 uh, 
uh, for the camp down and got to go up. And that was where I really was hit hard uh, about my sin, how I um, have turned my back on God and decided to live the life that I want to live. And I accepted Christ in one of the most beautiful places in the world. If you guys have ever been to the Northwest, you, you understand what I'm talking about, especially on beautiful days. I know it rains a lot up there, but um, I was sitting on the, on the inner dock up at Malibu, um, and there's just 8,000-foot mountains around me, and I was just, just uh, taken. I was crying, you know, realizing my sin, realizing the way that I turned my back on God. And it was there that one of my leaders, you know, came down and, and, and talked to me and, and said, are you ready to make this commitment? And I said, you know, I'm not ready to make this commitment. I'm ready to start to make this commitment. And he said, that's all we want. You know, we want you just to realize where you're at, admit, you know, and then turn your back or turn back towards God. And I accepted Christ um, in June, I guess, of 1990. And I really thank God for those people that were in my life, so even those young life leaders. They shared their lives with me and not just the gospel, as 1 Thessalonians 2a talks about. After I had committed my life to Christ, I really didn't know where to go. I, I went to Hawaii for the next three weeks, and I had a Bible that they had given me on the way back. And I started reading in Genesis because nobody had told me otherwise. And I got to probably about the 15th chapter and thought, what did I do here? Why did I even do this? This is so boring. And was gone for the next three weeks, came back, and there are my friends. Uh, were able to, to really hook me up with a church. And our church at that time was going through a, uh, a change of youth pastors. And this is where I got to meet uh, the fellow that really impacted my life, looking back at my Christian walk, really has impacted my life probably the most. And his name is Steve Wythe. Steve was the new youth pastor at the church. Uh, my friends had hooked me up with him. And uh, on the first day that he was there uh, and I was there, we got to go to his apartment afterwards. He just said, hey, why don't you guys come over to my apartment? We went back to his apartment and just had a good time just kicking it with him, you know, just hanging out. And the next day, I remember getting a phone call from Steve. He had gotten my number and he, he asked me, hey, let's go play hoops. So we went and played basketball and thought, you know, this guy's really cool. The next day, he calls me up and says, hey, why don't you come over? There's some games on ESPN. You know, why don't we, why don't we watch some sports and hang out? Got over there and he's like, hey, you want to cook some spaghetti up? You know, we're cooking spaghetti. Steve began the process um, of just sharing his life with me and not only the gospel. It was from there that he began to disciple a few of us senior guys. Uh, he asked us to be involved in a Bible study um, where me and my three uh, closest friends back home in Washington got uh, involved with him. And just on Saturday mornings, we'd go over to his apartment and begin this Bible study. We went through First John. It took us a whole year. It was great. And... He asked us to be involved in ministry with him. Uh, our church had been doing a junior high and high school group, or a junior high high school combined group, and he felt it necessary to break it up. And he asked us to be on the leadership team for the junior high, and that's where my first exposure to ministry was. Um, Steve was not sharing the gospel of God with me only, um, but his life as well, because I had become so dear to him. Ministry is not just sharing the gospel; it is letting your life share the gospel. It is loving, then teaching. It is sharing with love, grace, and compassion. There's a show-and-tell ministry. That's what I've entitled uh, this message, just show-and-tell ministry. You can't just tell the person that they are going to hell and that they need Christ. It must be lived out in your life because the people are, you are ministering to are dear to you. And I give this example. I gave this example to my junior high kids a couple weeks ago of show-and-tell. And just using the example of sign language, I can get up here and I could say... 
And I said, hi, I'm Brian. And you guys are sitting there going, what did he say? What did he say? Our life needs to be that same thing. People need to see our lives, our Christian walks, and go, what is he saying? What is he saying? And then we're able to share the gospel. Our action needs to match our words. This school has provided the opportunity for all of us to go on mission trips, not just summer missions, but on local mission trips too. Why is it that we put all this time into preparing for those, those short-term mission trips, those summer mission trips for, you know, that you're going for a month, you're going for a week, you're going for a day, or you're sharing for an hour? How can we put so much time and preparation into those when we're not even concentrating on, our, on the mission field that we have right here, our local churches, uh, the surrounding areas of Santa Clarita Valley? And I just want to call you guys to, to realize that we have a mission field right here and, and even in this school, ministering to one another. We need to be willing to live our life out right now, right here, and not just when we get out. Uh, here, like Paul did, we get to spend our life with these people, not just a month, a week, a day, or an hour. We have the opportunity to let our life be a ministry and not just our words, like on some evangelistic outreach mission trips. Let me repeat, I love mission trips. I've had some of the best times on these mission trips, uh, but I think that the biggest impact that I've had, uh, that it's had on me on these mission trips, is not the sharing of the gospel to the other people, although that's been great. We've seen people come to Christ, but the biggest thing that's impacted me is the people that are on those mission trips with me, and I know that some of you probably share that same feeling. I'd like to ask something. Are you allowing your life to be a show-and-tell ministry right here and now? If you're not, I want to challenge you to listen to the rest of this message. I want to challenge you to maybe take some of these things in and then begin, it to, begin to let your life to be a show-and-tell ministry. There are three things that I think we need to have in our life to allow people to see our life and not just hear our words. Three things that will, will allow us to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And those three things are a commitment to integrity, a commitment to grace, and a commitment to the church. Integrity. What is integrity? My thought of integrity is this. The pursuit of Christ and His holiness, whether people are watching or not. In other words, it's what you're doing in your life behind closed doors. Have you ever thought what it would be like if someone were to follow you around all day, only you didn't know that they were following you around? And you didn't know that they knew your every thought? Our life is an open book to God. He knows our every thought. He knows our every action. And he's watching us. Now, what if it was your best friend and you knew your best friend was watching, or you didn't know your best friend was watching you and following you around all day? I know that for me, that's a scary thought to have somebody watching me like that. Proverbs 20 and verse 7, and this is in the NASB, says, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. This verse tells us that people will see that you are a person of integrity and that people will follow you. If you're willing to walk in integrity behind closed doors, you will walk with integrity when people are watching. If you are not walking with integrity behind closed doors, you are proving yourself to be a hypocrite. There are a few things that integrity needs to have to remain integrity. Let's start with discipline. Is your life marked with discipline? Are you disciplined enough to say no sometimes because you have to finish another priority? Are you disciplined enough to get up when you know you should get up? Are you disciplined enough to get your work done early so you can spend time with others later? Are you disciplined enough to have a quiet time even if you've forsaken God all day and you're so tired and all you want to do is go to bed? Are you disciplined enough to not spend that $20 that you know belongs to God 
and you are going to tithe on Sunday. I think we need accountability in our pursuit of integrity too. We need to have a few people around us that we can, that we can be 100% accountable to. People that, people that you can tell and admit what you have been, been doing behind closed doors. This is not, and let me repeat, this is not a police force, but it is a prayer force. Galatians 6.2, familiar passage to a lot of us, says this, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the, the song that everybody's been singing the last few days, is this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Both of these passages tell us how we are to meet with each other and to tell each other the burdens of our hearts. Let me warn you. Pick people that you can trust, people that you know are people of integrity, people that you're going to pray for, people that are going to pray for you and you're going to pray for, people that are going to hurt with you and love you no matter what your failures are, people that are going to rejoice with you, people are, are, that are going to share with you, and people that are going to be honest with you as well. I've had the opportunity to do that this semester. Last semester, the Lord just kind of laid something on my heart, and I was able to share with a couple people that I really trust that I think it would be important for us, especially being my last semester, that if we started something like this, and we kind of call the group the Integrity Eight, we have eight questions of integrity that we ask each week, um, and just share some good times. And this has been one of the best things that I've ever done. And there's eight men right there that I can trust with anything. Any failure that, I've, that I have in my life, any sin that I have in my life, any prayer request, I know that I could share with these guys, and I know that it's not going to go beyond these guys. I know that these guys are going to be praying for me. I know that these guys are praying for me right now. I don't know if you guys have this in your life, but it is one of the best things. Take advantage of the people that you have surrounding you now. Don't wait to get involved in something like this later. Build on the foundation and learn, learn what integrity is. I know that these eight men are not just my integrity eight for this semester, but they're the integrity eight for the rest of my life. No matter where I go, no matter where they go, these guys are going to be praying for me writing me notes of encouragement, and I'm going to be doing the same for these guys. Next thing that I'd like to talk about is commitment to grace. This is something that I have had the hardest time understanding. I know that we all probably know that we have been saved by grace, but do we really believe it? I don't know if I really did before I started even studying for this message. Jerry Bridges, I feel, has a great, great grasp on grace. He uses the word bankrupt to explain how we are in the sight of God. We have nothing. There is nothing at all we can do to pay our debt. Christ paid it all. This combats the idea that our works earn favor with God. Larry Crabb uses a different analogy. He uses hunger and thirst. We are completely starved. There is no food and nothing to drink. Only God can fill that hunger. He says, quote, Our desire to know God and enjoy Him depends on a, on a painful awareness of what we lack. End quote. We are completely empty, we have nothing, and we are in desperate need of only what God can give. We have been saved by grace and grace alone. I'd like you to turn to Romans 3, 10 through 12. Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands 
no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. This passage shows us that there is nobody that can fill that void but Christ. No one can do any good. Our works are nothing. So if you're still believing that you're saved by works, you're wrong. I think that we have an understanding that we are saved by grace and grace alone. Now we get to the get to where I want to go with grace. Many of us believe now that we have been saved by grace. Well, we are not just saved by grace and glorified, brought into heaven by grace, but the entire process of sanctification is by grace too. This is the part that I didn't understand before. And this is the part that I'd like to share just with you right now. Um, I always say, you know, well, I know that I'm saved by grace, but now I have to work. I have to prove to God that I deserve this grace. And that's totally wrong. But that's the mentality that I think that I've had. That my works are, are kind of paying back God. But it's not that at all. It's by grace and by grace alone. Even the work of sanctification is by grace. Our love for God draws us to obedience. But we don't even have that love, but apart from the grace. Jerry Bridges says this, It can neither be, neither be earned by your merit nor forfeited by your demerit. And I've had that same legalistic approach to my life. When I don't have my quiet time or, or, or fail in some other area or sin, I think, man, I need to do something better to make up for this. You know, I need to get involved in another ministry in my church or I need to be uh, serving somebody else. Totally wrong mentality. God's grace has paid that. Now, what does this have to do, you may be asking, with, with allowing our life to be a lifestyle ministry or a lifestyle mission? I say it has everything to do with it. You first have to understand your own fallenness and your own position in Christ before you can share it with others. Realizing that you have been saved and are being sanctified by grace allows you to be set free. We are not serving out of guilt, thinking that we have to minister because it would give, give you demerits if you didn't. But rather we serve because of His grace and because He loved us. It sets you free and allows you to love the people and share your life with them in love and not out of a fear of losing your portion of grace. That points me to the third point in this, in this message, and that's the commitment to the church. Not just a commitment to the church, because I think that we have a grasp on a commitment to the church. I think that's why you're here, is to learn about God and learn about how you're going, going to go out and serve in His churches. But a commitment to a church. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.9, the passage that we started in, tells of how he was committed to be with them, working with them. Um, in verse 5 of the first chapter, he says that he lived among them, spent all his time with them. He was committed to them. I think back to my freshman year and think of the way, of course, the second semester, because back then we, we had to be in uh, a grace community the first semester, but the second semester when I had to go out and find a church, I had no idea how to find a church. I had just been saved for a year and here I was, a freshman in college, and I had been provided with a place that I had to go to, Grace Community. But I wanted to be in a smaller church. It was intimidating to me to be in such a big church. I had no idea how to find a church, though. And so I began the church shopping, more like hopping. I went to this church one week, went to this church the next. And some of those same people that I was church hopping with back in my freshman year, I'm sad to say, are still hopping. We need to stop hopping, start shopping, and get into a church. Um, I'm very thank thankful that I found my church. It was, right, it was the right place for me, and I got in it and got involved in it. I know that it was a scary thing to go out and try to find, and find my church, um, but what do you think it's going to be like when you get out of the school to go find a church? Scott Burns, a friend of mine, told me um, 
that he can't wait to get out on his own, where he will have to rely on the church to be his true family, to get away from his family now, that he has here and, and to go out into his church. He can't wait for that because his brothers and sisters in Christ are going to be his true family. That's going to be his support system when he gets out there. That made me think of the way that it has been for me. I never experienced being part of a church family until I got to Lake Hills. And even then, I didn't really feel like a part of the family. Um, maybe this is how some of you feel when you go to your church. I even found myself thinking that, that some of the people um, there should be more friendly to me, that they should go out of their way and, and come talk to me. But I wasn't doing what, but what I wasn't doing was I wasn't looking in the mirror at myself. I wasn't doing any of the things that I wanted them to do to me. How many times did I go out of my way and talk to someone? How many times did I just hang out with the other college students for masters that were there right after church instead of going up and introducing myself to someone? I was doing the exact thing that some other people in the church were doing. We can't just be people who are attending churches either. We need to be involved in these churches. Uh, you never feel like you are part of a family unless you start to be part of the family until you make the initiative to be part of that family. You need some roots. Find a church and plant. Uh, and this is a scary thing because there are a lot of bad churches out there that need some really good people. And I know that the things that Master stands for and the things that you guys are being taught, the things that I'm being taught, um, this needs to go out and we need to, we need to uh, work in the churches that need some help. And this was really proven to me a few weeks ago. Uh, I took my junior hires up to a camp and for a winter camp, and it was really sad to see there was a drama hour that the that the that the um, camp did, and they talked about the the things that we as junior hires and and we as basic humans need. And there was three A's, and they were like, we need acceptance, we need approval, we need I don't even remember what they are. And I was just sitting there, and the rest of my staff who were all at Masters were sitting there, and and we wanted to leave. <laughs> And it was really sad. And then, and I was thinking, okay, there's got to be other people that feel the same way. We went to the counselors' meeting, and I asked a couple people, you know, what did you think of this? And, and they just thought it was the greatest thing. And it was, it was a message just on self-esteem and talking about how you need to be, you know, although you feel this way sometimes, it's not a bad feeling to feel this way. And, and you need to feel, um, you know, sorry for yourself when you're rejected. You need to, you know, you need to find your inner strength. And it was just a, it was a total psychology message. And yet, all these counselors in these churches didn't think it affected them at all. They thought it was the best thing. In fact, the, the director had, had, the, had the counselors follow up um, with a sheet um, on the commitment night. And I read through this, this green sheet, front and back, and it never once mentioned the name of Christ. Never once. And this is what they wanted to follow up on, on kids' commitments with. And I just thought it was sad, and I thought, man, this is a sad testimony to the churches today. And we really need to be committed to the church because we're the ones that are going to shape the church of the future. We, as students of the Masters, are learning the truth. And yeah, Masters is not the perfect school, but I know that it holds the principles that we need to take into the church. I'm fearful um, of some of the people at this school. I'm not fearful that they aren't Christians, although this might be true, but I'm fearful that they aren't willing to do something now with the church and that they will... They will be, um, they're not committed to the church now, so they think, okay, I'll, I'll commit to the church as soon as I get out. But I have a warning. Um, when are you going to do that? When do you think that you're going to get out of, the, out of the school and then come, become committed to the church? Are you going to wait till after you graduate to become committed to the church? Are you going to wait until after you're married? 
Wait, let me take that back. Sometimes it matters. It happens in the opposite order. Um, after you have your first kid, after you retire, are you going to be committed to the church? You've got to start now. I'll tell you, the best thing that I did at this school was to go outside the school and get involved with a church. It's been hard. There have been so many times that I've wanted to do something here at the school, but there was something at the church I needed to do. But it was worth it because Christ said he would build upon the church, Matthew 16, 18. I see this school sometimes as an oxymoron and, and that there are so many opportunities at this school, so many good things that we could be doing at this school and we're so committed to this school that sometimes we forget about the local church and we forget that we need to go out and do these things. Sometimes we need to say no and that's the word sacrifice. Sometimes we have to sacrifice some things that are happening on the wing, some things in life, some things that are happening you know, even in your classroom to go out and be involved in the church. I told my staff at the church that I would be sure to use them in my message. Um, they're great, and I thank God for them daily for the work that they're doing in the lives of the youth in Castaic. Um, but I've noticed something late of, of late, and that is the apathy that we have towards the kids. My feeling is, the, is that the youth, that youth ministry is not about program. It's about relationships with these kids. But I've seen our lives become so busy with the things going on at the school that we're beginning to rely upon the program to make a difference in these kids' lives. And it's not about program. It's about the relationships. It's about living out 1 Thessalonians 2.8. For we love you so much, we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. This is exactly um, what you can do in your, in your church, whether you are, um, you're involved in, your, in the ministry right now um, or not. The important thing that I want you to do is to, and challenge you to do is to find a church that you're going to grow in get there and stay there. Don't just go hear so-and-so at this church one week and then go hear so-and-so at this church another week. Sometimes you need to sacrifice. Even though you know this person speaking at this church this week, be committed to your church. Be committed to your church family. Be committed to your pastor. Be committed to the people that you know you have a ministry with. I wanted to end um, just by challenging you guys to let your life be a witness. Take on the challenge of living out a show-and-tell lifestyle through your commitment to integrity, what you're doing behind closed doors, your commitment to grace, realizing that God is sanctifying you by grace and that has saved, by, saved you by grace and is going to glorify you, bring you into heaven by grace, and that you're committed to the church. These three things should be evident among all believers. I want to end with a story of how grace has changed my entire way of thinking. And if any of you guys were in the uh, off-campus chapel or dorm chapels, I, I get the opportunity to speak in the off-campus chapel first semester. I'm going to repeat the story like any good youth pastor. They're going to repeat the stories over and over again until it gets totally worn out. Um, it's a story of, of Billy. This story was told to me, I think, when I was in sixth grade, and it, it, it didn't really have an effect on me as far as for Christ, but even in a secular setting. Uh, Billy was about between the ages of eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there, uh, and he was from a single parent home. Billy uh, this is the first year that he got to come home after school instead of going to a babysitter's or to a daycare. And this day in, in class, his teacher was talking about how we need to be doing good things for our parents, how we need to serve them, and how we need to be uh, so unselfish with our life. And, and Billy thought, you know, I'm going to go home today and I'm going I'm to do something nice for my mom. My mom works hard hours and, and I'm going to go home and she always cooks dinner for me, so I'm going to go home and clean up the house and cook dinner for her. So Billy gets home after school, knowing that his mom's going to get home around 6 o'clock off of work. So Billy 
uh, gets home and, and sees that the dishwasher needs to be emptied, so he, he em- empties the dishwasher. And, and this is some things that he does sometimes when his mom asks him to, but he's going out of his way this time, and he's doing this himself. And he's emptying the dishwasher, and then he goes into his room, and he knows that he should keep his room clean, and, and he doesn't always clean it up. So he cleans up his room, and, and he thinks, man, I've got to cook her dinner. I don't, I don't I don't really know what to cook. He, and, and the one thing that he is good at is toasted cheese sandwich. So he thinks, hey, I'm cooking my mom a good toasted cheese sandwich. So he's sitting there in the kitchen do, doing the domestic thing and, and cooking, her, cooking her dinner. And he sets the table really nice. And, and, you know, he's learned from his mom where the fork goes, where the knife goes, where's the spoon go. Sets it up really nice and, and goes out and, and, and picks a few flowers off the rose bush and, and puts it on the table and, and does a few little odds and ends around the house. And mom comes home, walks in the door, there's a candlelight, and she's just taken back. She's like, wow, this is awesome. What did Billy do for me here? So they, uh, he tells her to sit down at the table, that he cooked her dinner, that, that he did this and that, and they sit down and have one of the best times that they've ever had as a family, as the two of them. Just sitting there talking about mom's work day, Billy's day at school, and, and just have a good time sharing with, with one another. Billy gets up when she's done with her toasted cheese sandwich and chips and, and clears the plate and brings in some Oreo cookies and some milk. And they sit down and have some dessert and continue sharing with one another. And he gets the dishes and takes them in and puts them in the sink. He neglects to put them in the dishwasher, of course. But he, uh, he sits back down and, and, and when, he, when he comes back over to the table, he hands his mom a note. And I don't have that exact note, but I, I do have a note that's similar to it. It says, Mom... And she opens it up and it says, Dear Mom, thank you for being my mom. I hope you like dinner and the cleaning. Here's your bill. For cleaning my room, one dollar. For taking out the garbage, one dollar. For vacuuming, one dollar. For emptying the dishwasher, one dollar. And for cooking dinner, one dollar. Total, five dollars. The mom, without even hesitating, picks up her purse and Billy a five dollar bill. The next day, it's mom's turn. She gets off work a few hours early. She knows that Billy has soccer practice that day. She goes into his room and, and cleans up the room for him. She empties the dishwasher. She puts the dishes away um, that he forgot to last night. And she cooks him his favorite thing. He loves lasagna. So she cooks him uh, just a big lasagna dinner. And she, uh, she uh, you know, does his laundry. She does this and that for him. You know, does the same thing. Sets the table really nice gets the flowers and, and does the whole bit and and Billy comes home gets dropped off from from the next door neighbor and she walks in or he walks in and just wow you know this is great you know you serve your mom and you get served back so they sit down to eat dinner and again they just have a, a marvelous time talking talking about soccer practice talking about the day at work uh, talking about you know next year and talking about his girlfriend talking about this and that and just having a great time and uh, after after she gets done, after he gets done eating the lasagna and the salad, she picks up the plate, goes back, puts the dishes in the dishwasher, um, and comes back and, and gives him his cake and ice cream, you know, his favorite chocolate cake and ice cream. They, they sit down and have a great time again, just talking. She picks up the plate after he's done and takes it back, and, and she had rented him a movie, and she tells him, I, I rented your movie too, and, and, and we're going to just hang out and watch a movie. But first, I want to give you this. And it says, Billy. She opens it up. He opens it up and it says, Dear Billy, I love you very much and thank you for everything you did yesterday. Here is your bill. For cleaning up after you. Nothing. 
for taking you to school all these years, nothing. For supporting you always, nothing. For providing for you, nothing. For raising you and loving you, nothing. Total nothing. Billy, I love you. That really hits me because I think about Christ and think about the grace that He's shown us and think about the way that I try to serve and try to serve others and try to serve Christ and thank God for, for, for being a youth pastor. You know, I want some blessings. For serving my friend, you know, I want some, I want some, you know, some glory. I want some people to praise me. But what does Christ do? Christ dies on the cross. At what cost? Everything. Cost him everything. And we have the choice. We have the choice to make. You know, what, is it, what does it mean to us? And uh, I'd just like for you guys to bow your heads and I'm going to ask you a few questions. Just remove yourself from anything that is, that is distracting you and answer these questions to yourself. Are you a person who fits into that story? Are you a person that, that if you put yourself in that situation with God, are you expecting... Are you accepting God's grace or are you expecting something from it? What did Christ want from us when he died on the cross? Are you set free by the grace and motivated through love to be more like him? Are you still trying to live your life to pay him back for the grace that he showed you? What about integrity? Are there things in your life that you don't want people to see? Are there sins that go, go on behind closed doors? that you're being hypocritical to the way that you're talking? Have you considered getting involved with some accountability? Are you working on being disciplined in your life, in your prayer life, in your quiet times? Are you motivated by the love you have towards God or just checking it off on your list of things to do? And what about the church? Have you found a church to be committed to? Have you considered getting involved in it? Are you willing to sacrifice your own personal desires for the church? Is your life a life that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8? Do you love people enough to share with them not only the gospel of God, but your life as well? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity just to share the things that were on my heart. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the church. I thank you for the lives of these people around us. I would pray that, that the people in this chapel would get something out of the message today. Even if it's just one of the points, integrity, grace, or commitment to the church, Lord. Help us just to work on even one of those areas. We fail so much, but you've loved us so much. God, help us to be committed to these things. Help us to get involved in accountability. Help us to get involved in our church. Help us to be just men, of, men and women of integrity. Help us to check out our own lives behind the closed doors. Father, I thank you so much for this school, just for the commitment that we have to you. I pray that each individual in here, Lord, would just really try to grow in their knowledge of you and just allow your Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Thank you for today. In your name, amen. You're dismissed.